The next several weeks, we're going to be talking about family issues, talking about parenting today. Singleness next week with Wyatt Watercotty, great young man. I'm looking forward to hearing his message. And then in two weeks, we're going to have Dr. Paul Boltman here with uh, Safe Haven Hospice, and he's going to talk with me, him, him and I both are going to talk about older life transitions, and then the last week we'll talk about marriage. So this should be fun, and hopefully it'll be helpful. Sometimes these communication cards get left behind in the pews or in the seats, and sometimes kids like to use them to write notes to each other. And here's one I found in the pews after a sermon. This was at another church I was at, and I preached a sermon on parenting or something, and this was written by a child. He said, Okay, he, speaking of me, the preacher, he can stop saying stuff like that. He's giving my mom ideas. And hopefully that's exactly what we want to do, give you some ideas. Because family life isn't always easy. Usually there's some turbulence and challenges along the way. I have a book called Murphy's Laws of Parenting. And of course we know Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. For instance, the family portrait law. Your children will play barber the day before your appointment for a family picture right? The crayon law, red and yellow, black and white, your child will want to take a bite. The law of the referee mom, he hit me first, is always spoken in stereo. The law of spills, children spill milk only after you've mopped the floor. The adolescent law says upon reaching age 13, children become more knowledgeable than their parents. And the better late than, better late than never law of parenting, by the time you get the hang of parenting, your children are married. A lot of truth to those. Well, today's topic is the foundation for any family situation. If you're single, if you're married, if you have kids or no kids, if you're elderly or widow, this is for all of us, and that is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It has to start here for all of us. And if we get this wrong, nothing else really matters. These babies are off to a good start today. Their parents have dedicated them to the Lord. The long journey has begun, and it's headed in the right direction. And the key for these parents and the key for all of us is we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, these parents that we saw up here today probably will have different styles of parenting and different philosophies and different methods. Some will be strict and some will be less strict. You know, some are more verbal and other parents lead more by example. Those are all real, they're very important issues, but they're really secondary issues. There is one thing that everyone in this room should agree upon, and that is the destination. And like any journey, we need to begin with the end in mind. So what is the goal? And amazingly, we often know our personal and career goal, our financial and career goals more than we do our personal or family goals. So I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It's called the Great Commandment. Jesus called it the most important commandment. This is the pivot around which everything else revolves. The Israelites called it the Shema, which is the first word in this command, which is the word hear. Hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the destination. This is what God has planned for our families and children, for all of us to love God with our heart and soul and strength. Jesus reiterated it several times when he was on earth. In later Judaism, the Shema was recited by Jews every morning and every evening. They just wanted to make sure that this word dominated their mind and dominated their lives. Love the Lord with all you have. Now, you should have a card in your pew, the main thing here. And if you didn't get one, we didn't have ones for every seat, but we did for most of them. We have them at the tables as you leave this morning, so you'll have them. Uh, If you have it, would you pick it up? Let me, I want to see. 
How many of us have it? Okay, I want you to read, well, first of all, this is obviously for you to take with you. You can put it in your purse or your pocket or put it on your refrigerator just to remind you what is the main thing you know, for all of us and for our families. And I want you to read this with me, and we'll have it up on the screen too so you can read it. To you. Let's read it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Now, that's Jesus' version. It's a little bit different than the Shema. But this is what we are to impress on our children. This is the destination. They love God above all else and love people. Keep the main thing the main thing. When an airplane is in the air, a lot of factors act upon the flight of that plane. You have wind, you have rain, you have turbulence, you have air pressure, the human factor. And all these factors move that plane so that most of the time, as I understand, that plane is not on the exact prescribed flight path. Throughout the entire trip, there are slight deviations, and sometimes there may, be, may even be major deviations in the flight plan. But that's not the most important thing. The important thing is that the plane arrives at its destination. And in the same way, good families, even great families, have various factors playing on them. They got turbulence, they have air pressure, that pressure, the, the human factor, so that families are seldom exactly right on track. When that baby is born, we hope for a smooth ride. Seldom happens. Conflicts, trials, hurts, anger, disillusionment, there can be a lot of turbulence. I remember uh, reading about a freshman boy in college. He partied all year long, he didn't study, he failed some classes. And his parents were paying for his college. So his punishment is he had to attend summer classes and could not go with the family on vacation. And it just so happened that summer the family vacationed in Greece. Pretty nice vacation. While over there, the parents wrote a card home to their son. Said, dear son, here we are high atop a mountain where ancient Spartan women used to throw their children to the rocks below. Wish you were here. Love, mom and dad. <laughs> You feel like that sometimes. You want to kill them, but you still love them. There's a preacher who gave a sermon on anger, true story. And after the sermon, he invited people who needed prayer with their struggles with anger to come forward to pray for their anger. Nineteen individuals responded. All of them were parents of small children. There's just going to be some turbulence. So the key for families, like airplanes, is not to avoid the turbulence. The key is to know where you're going. Where do you want to end up? What do you want this child or this grandchild to look like in 15 or 20 years? What do you want to end up like in 15, 20 years? You may need to take some detours. It may not be smooth. And you may not even get there on time. And you don't have to have a perfect flight. You don't have to be a perfect parent. But you need to keep the main thing the main thing. A few years ago, I heard about a survey of children 10 years old and younger in England. And they were asked, what is most important? What are the priorities of life? Number one is being famous, being a celebrity. Number two is being good-looking. Number three is be rich. Popularity, looks, and money. God was number 10 on their list of priorities. And the very clear implication for us is if we are not intentional about the Shema, other goals will become priorities. The culture will determine your priorities. If we're going to make the Shema, the destination, we have to be counter-cultural. We cannot be like everyone else. The goal is to love God first more than anything else, and that will put you in the minority. So let's look at this for a little bit. The Lord is one. What's that mean? We're not sure, but two possibilities is that the Lord is one can mean either the Lord is a unity or the Lord is the only God. 
The Lord is a unity, meaning he is not divided within himself. In other words, God is not fickle. He's not inconsistent. He's constant. You can count on him the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a solid rock you can give to your child. Or it can mean the Lord is the only God. There is no other. There, there's only one absolute in life. And if we don't give that absolute to our children, nothing else really matters. Now, one thing we hear a lot today, and I hear a lot on TV and you see it on Facebook, I just want my child to be happy. Happy. Parents, aim higher. Happiness, when it is a goal, is never really attained. Oh, you can have happy times and fun times, but genuine, deeper satisfaction and joy is a byproduct of a higher purpose. Go for the higher purpose. The word love is, a, of course, personal trusting relationship with God. We talk to Him, we obey Him, we have fellowship with Him, and it's not just a bunch of rules to follow, although we do obey Him. There's forgiveness involved in this relationship, just like any relationship. And then heart, soul, mind, and strength is our total commitment, our total being is given to Him. And that's the destination, a personal trusting relationship with God that involves total commitment. And then the rest of the Shema is the, the flight plan on how to get there. Verse 6, These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, we can break that out down in three basic commands, three ways to get to our destination of loving God. The first commandment says, These commands are to be upon whose hearts? Your hearts. This command is, first of all, not to children. It is to us, moms and dads and grandparents. You know, what is in us will get into them. It's not really baby dedication today. It is really parent dedication, your commitment to raise this child. So the first issue in godly parenting besides God is the parent's priorities. What are our values? I think most of you know, many of you know anyway, that I am a Green Bay Packer fan. And I know I am very sad today uh, because of Thursday. My son, Josh, is also a Packer fan, and he has no reason to be one. He has never lived in Wisconsin. He's never seen them in person until a few years ago. I didn't even try to persuade him. I didn't evangelize to make him a Packer fan. He lives in the Indianapolis area, and he suffers the same persecution I have to endure here. Colts fans are almost as difficult as Bears fans. <laughs> By the way, one of these babies I think is going to be a 49ers fan. We will pray for that. Uh, this morning. But anyway, but in spite of be, being in the minority and peer pressure and, and persecution that Josh has to endure living in India, he is committed to the Packers for only one reason. That's what his dad was. His dad is. What I am, he has become. I didn't intend for that to happen. You will pass on who you are. And you cannot pass on what you don't possess. You love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength first. That's the first key. Don't have to be perfect, but that's the goal. Proverbs 3, 5, I trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This is your compass. This is what will keep you on track. My upbringing was not perfect. In fact, there's no perfect parents. We all injure our kids in some way. But my parents kept the main thing the main thing. And my four brothers and I will forever, and I mean forever, be grateful to them for that. The second part of the flight plan, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. The great commandment is to be a subject of constant attention. Talk about God in the everyday parts of life. The first thing when they 
get up in the morning, the last thing before they fall asleep, give credit to God for his creation, just find little God moments, you know, thank him for the blessings of life. You know, what are we filling their mind with? Those minds are just sponges. Uh, some of you don't talk a lot about the God things, but you can live and speak with your actions. My mom was the talker, my dad was the doer, and both of them had impact in my life. That means we protect our children from certain messages. It might mean disciplining them at times. I read about one instance where a nine-year-old had a perennial behavior problem at school, and his teachers had finally given up. They'd thrown up their hands and were ready to you know, just give in, I guess. And they were encouraging the parents to put this boy on medication, and sometimes that certainly is needed. But the parents instead decided to do some what they call politically incorrect parenting. While their son was at school one day, they went into his bedroom and stripped his room of everything except furniture, clothing, and the necess necessary school materials, nothing else. No more video games, no more toys, no more computer. This is before they had iPads in school, by the way. <laughs> uh, he was left with a Spartan environment, and when he came home and discovered his new circumstances, they told him that they were going to ask his teachers for a complete report on the last day of school of every week, and if he had not, mis not misbehaved during the previous week, they would give him back an article of their choosing, not his choosing, meaning that he would be working on his school comportment for a relatively long time before he got back his most prized possessions. So they took everything away, but he could get them back. Also, if there's a major misbehavior, a major misbehavior at home through the week or the weekend, that, that would cancel even the most glowing report from the teachers. Would you be surprised to hear that this youngster turned into a model student within two weeks? Ten weeks later, he was still on track and reclaiming possession of his toys and electronic equipment at the dazzling pace of one per week. Be proactive, impress on it. Now, I'm not going to say that will work with everyone. But we need wisdom in how to deal, how we can impress these things on our children. You know, go to the parenting seminar. It'll give you some great wisdom. One of the advantages we have with younger children is how teachable they are. They are really open to spiritual realities. In fact, children have an inbuilt bias toward God. It's been created in them. The very dependency of a child lends them the ability to accept a power beyond them. And it's almost a natural thing. And that's one reason Jesus tells us to become like children. Let me, I'm just curious. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you became Christian before you turned 18? Raise your hand. I'd like to... I'll bet it's over half. Yeah, easily, the majority here. We have to take advantage of those first precious years. As a church, we have got to reach children. That's why I'm so thrilled with uh, Rob and Jared and the work they do with our young people. Parents, uh, have them in church regularly. Make it a main thing. Start with them in the nursery during Sunday school hour where they'll be taught about God and Jesus and creation and values. Those first 5 to 12 years are, are your open door. Take advantage of it. On your outline, what a church should be doing, our home should be doing, and that is creating disciples, creating followers of Jesus. Now the church teaches, it fellowships, we help one another, we evangelize, we do benevolence, we do hospitality, we worship. Family can do all those. You know, praying as a family for your neighbor, praying for missionaries. Your home can be a miniature church. Family worship doesn't have to be extravagant, just a little reading and prayer is fine. Praying before a meal. Grade school children can read the Bible at devotion time. You can use a variety. You get tired of doing one thing, you start doing something else. The big thing is start young. Start today. When I ask my own kids their best memories of our chi their childhood, almost always 
bedtime comes up because that's when we did our devotion time. We read scripture. Sometimes we did a lot of different things. I would, they would read scripture and then I would quiz them on what we'd read, you know, just things like that. And here's some other ideas that families have done. Word of the week. Each week a family member looks up a biblical word and they test, they tell the family the meaning, like what's the word exile mean or high priest or revelation, just to teach Bible knowledge. Question box is another idea where they, this family had each person write three questions like to discuss on slips of paper and put them in a box and they pull them out once in a while to discuss. What's the meaning, dad? A uh, little game they'd play, let the children ask dad a question and if it's too tough or sensitive, then you let mom answer it. Um, what about your day? Uh, you say a family member's name and then the time of day, like Joshua, 11 a.m. And they have to tell what they were doing at that time of day. Uh, they have to respond with the response. Another mother would ask, where did you meet God today? Well, a teacher helped me, or I saw a homeless person in the park. I saw a tree with lots of flowers, and, and mom can tell where she met God to. Or items from the news of the day, you discuss at dinner and devotion time. It's a great way to apply the faith to everyday events, especially for older kids. Or debating controversial topics. You know, should a Christian never tell a lie? It'd be good for older kids to talk about. Is an occasional drink of alcohol okay? Is abortion always wrong? Those will get discussed at school and by peers. Why not at home? Teach them, impress on them. A family therapist said that some of, the colleague, some of his colleagues estimate somewhat jokingly, a little tongue-in-cheek here, but not completely jokingly, that a young child must be reminded 2,000 times before a given lesson sinks in. How many times do you have to tell a child, say thank you, say thank you? How many times do you have to do that? About 2,000, and they might get it. So the fight, flight plan, teach consistently, Teach constantly, teach diligently when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Dropping them off a Big Wednesday once a week won't do it. Third command, make the Great Commandment visible. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And some Jews did this literally. They tied copies of the Shema to their arms or their foreheads or the doorposts of their homes and we have a picture up here. These were called phylacteries in the time of Jesus where they would have it on the forehead. Just remind them, I want that thing in my brain. It was on his arm. You know, he wants it on, on his... So he's doing the deeds of Jesus as well. So they could see it. And of course, today the way our children see God is in our example and the way we live. Albert Schweitzer said example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. And that's a little exaggerating, but, but it's true. I remember one of the killer phrases when our kids were younger. My wife would correct them, and then they would say, but Daddy does it. You know? Being a role model is not a choice we can make. We cannot avoid it. We will influence our children. You know, you say, well, I'm going to let my kid decide whether to go to church or not. I'm not going to influence them. You already have. You know, that you've taught that God is optional, church is optional, it's not that important. You cannot remain neutral in this. Jesus said, either you're with me or against me, and your kids will figure it out. They're smart enough. I saw a survey of Christian young adults in their 20s range, and that age range is the least Christianized segment of our population. And these Christian kids, 20 years old or so, were questioned about their upbringing, and they found that they came of one or two families. First of all, where the parents were very committed to Christ and his church, so they made that faith their own. The other kind of families where the parents were not committed at all and they'd been influenced by some other force, some outside force. 
Very few of these Christian young adults came from marginal, nominally Christian homes where the parents attended church, but the Shema was still not really the goal. So the odds are better for young people in a non-Christian home than a half-hearted home. So if you're on the fence, you need to decide. Christianity is designed either it's wholehearted or nothing. It's hot or cold. You cannot serve two masters. Again, don't have to be perfect. Don't even have to be smart. Uh, You don't have to be a Bible expert, and 90% of the time your home will be slightly off track, and the ride won't always be smooth. There's going to be some turbulence, but the flight isn't the main issue. It's the destination. Where are you headed? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I would like right now to have all the parents who have kids at home. Now, this includes, of course, the baby dedication. I would like to have all parents stand up who have kids at home right now. Stand up, because we're going to pray for you. Just stand up. Parents. And if you are close to one of these people standing, would you put your hand on their shoulder? You may have to stand up to do that too, but would you put your hand on their shoulder and would you pray with me for them? All right. Let's pray. Lord, it is an awesome task that you've given to these parents to raise children, to love you. But with you in us and guiding us and and leading us and leading these parents, we know that they can influence children to love you. And so we lift them up to you today that they may be wise, they might be discerning, that they might be patient and strong, and that they will be stubborn about living for you. Thank you for their presence today. I just thank you for the faith that is in them. We just pray for that faith to multiply and grow. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all your goodness to us. And we pray this in Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you.